Uh, so we're continuing on in our connection series. And uh, if you've missed any of it, I just want to encourage you to maybe go back and check it out because we're really trying to really build uh, through this series kind of uh, several really critical things that we want to talk about. So some things we're just going to kind of keep revisiting because they need a lot of attention. You guys are coming up with some great questions that are coming up every week. So I would just say uh, continue to, to dig in. We're going to try to address uh, those questions as we go through this series. But I also want to encourage you, if you're not in a small group, uh, to maybe try to uh, jump into one of our small groups or make sure you're at least having some conversation with spiritual friend around uh, the conversations we're having because there's a lot here, isn't there? So uh, today I want to talk to uh, you, begin to move into the New Testament and the New Covenant and what Jesus had to say about it. I want to talk to you specifically about a new movement that Jesus brought to the earth when he came. So when we pick up this part of the Gospel of John and then move into Matthew, understand that it's been, before Jesus is born, there's been about 400 years from the book of Malachi till we get to the New Testament, what we know as the New Testament. It's been about 400 years of not, it's just kind of been quiet. And there's not prophetic words coming forth. There's not prophets, those Old Testament prophets speaking things forth. It's just been quiet. And then the scripture tells us in Galatians that at the fullness of time, that God come, he sends his son at the fullness of time. It's like this is the perfect time in history for Jesus to come. So we pick up in John chapter 1, and there's a guy that most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with, John the Baptist. And John is one of those fiery Old Testament kind of type guys that is... A prophet, and he's going around the countryside, and people are loving what he's saying, and he's pretty straightforward. He's harsh with the the governmental rulers, and he's speaking prophetically into things. And this is what the scripture tells us in John chapter 1, verse 29. Jesus uh, is showing up on the scene to bring something new. And this is what John says Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it goes on. But I didn't put it on the slide. So I'll, I'll just read it from my notes. I'm sorry. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he, speaking of Jesus, that he might be revealed to Israel. All right? So essentially what John is saying is the old is ending. I was put here to kind of be the exclamation point on the end of the old covenant. And now I'm introducing to you Jesus. This was what it was all about. And Jesus has three new way, or three ways that new begins. Jesus is going to bring new that are specifically in three ways. We're going to talk about one of them today. First of all, Jesus is going to bring a new movement. The new movement is the church. It's the gathering. It's the assembly. There was nothing like the church in the Old Testament. Jesus is bringing the church to the earth. The second thing Jesus is bringing is a new agreement. This is that new covenant that we're talking about. It's a new agreement, a new arrangement. Jesus is going to say, essentially, the old covenant is over. It's completed. It'll all be fulfilled in what I do here, but, but I'm bringing a new covenant, a new arrangement, and then he's bringing also a new command. Jesus brings a new command. It is, 
It is this overarching ethic. Jesus brings an overarching ethic for the movement that he begins, for the church. It's this, it's, it, he, he, it, in, in kind of a nutshell, it's when Jesus says, all of those commandments can be kind of wrapped up in this. Love God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your strength, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? So Jesus is going to communicate that, and that's what we're going to be getting into in the next few weeks here, next couple weeks. But it's interesting because when we start to talk about new, like all of us hear this new movement, a new agreement, a new command. And even those of us that like change the least, we like new stuff. It's like, it's, that feels good, right? No problem with that. No problem with, no problem with a new movement. No problem with a new agreement, a new covenant. There's no problem with um, a new ethic or a, or a new command. However, it, be, it begins to be a problem when we realize in our own lives, this is just human nature, when we got to give up some of the old stuff in order to properly embrace the new. So Jesus is coming to the earth to bring these three new things, and that's wonderful. And everybody could get excited about that. But how about you? How do you do in your life with giving up the comfortable? I'm not good at it, personally. My family laughs at me all the time about it. I've got some stuff in my bag of tricks to prove it just in, in many, in a multitude of ways. This is how my life works because I love new things. I love it. I love new things. And like these shoes, this is how I operate. This is how I roll. I bought these new shoes. Now it's been about six weeks. And these shoes may sit in this box for, I don't know, couple years. I'm not sure how long, but it's new. I'm excited about it, but it's hard to let go of the comfortable old shoes, right? These have shoe goo on them. Literally, they have worn through, but they're comfortable. So, you know, you do that maybe with couches or furniture. You put it in the base. You don't just throw it out because you you love the new. You got the new couch in the living room, but you don't want to let go of the old couch. So you move it to the basement. This coat is is um, thir- over, let's see, this coat is over 30 years old. I love this coat. It's so comfortable. I've had a lot of new coats since I had this coat. This was the last, look at it, it's got my, it's got my name on it, so I could remember who I was, Scott. And it's a, it's a patch from the last company I worked for as an electrician. And I love this coat. I've had new coat after new coat after new coat, but there's nothing like this old coat. I mean, it's a comfortable coat, right? So I, part of the reason is I think if I could keep wearing this old coat, then the new coat will last longer, right? I've even asked Claire, maybe I, do you think I should get this sewn and patched? And she laughs and says, yeah, that's you. How about this sweatshirt? My kids, I've noticed when it comes to birthdays and Christmas, things like that, Father's Day, I seem to get a lot of sweatshirts over the years. And I think part of the reason is because I have, this is a real thing that I wear. This is over 25 years old, right? Like you look at it and say, well, maybe for painting. No, this is for everything other than going to weddings. I don't wear this at weddings but I could wear this anywhere, right? And I just figure if I keep wearing this one, then the new ones can stay in the closet and they'll last longer that way, right? So that's how we are. So Jesus shows up on the earth. Now that's fine and dandy, I think, with things like sweatshirts and coats and tennis shoes 
and your old furniture and some other things that you just won't let go of. And we can laugh at ourselves about it. However, when it comes to the stuff that Jesus is talking about, this is different. This is big stuff that has to do with our spiritual formation, our spiritual life, and what God desires for mankind, honestly, for humankind. It's what God is after. So do you ever wonder, for instance, why are some Christians so tied and vested to old covenant rules and regulations? Not you guys, but other people, other Christians. You ever notice that they're so tied to it and so, and, but yet it seems like at times not as concerned about the things that Jesus seemed to be most concerned about. Do you ever notice that? Like, and I'm not saying any of what, like for instance, here's a good example. Have you ever noticed how passionate we are around the Ten Commandments? And I love the Ten Commandments. Don't hear what I'm not saying, but this is your air-sucking moment of, of this Sunday. I love the Ten Commandments. We have it hanging out there in the hall. We all, we all want to know them, and you, we teach them to our kids or whatever. But you do realize that's some of the old stuff that we hold on to. We battle to keep it in things like the courthouses, the schools, or whatever. However, Jesus had a replacement for that. You, do you realize Jesus had a replacement for that? And we don't seem to have a problem with not going to conversation around the replacement. You can find the replacement in Matthew 5 through 7. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talked really about the Ten Commandments. You might remember this phrase that Jesus uses in Matthew 5 through 7 repeatedly. You have heard it said in ancient times, but I say unto you. More specifically, one time, and he says it over and over and over, and specifically, actually about a lot of the Ten Commandments. You've heard it said in ancient times, You shouldn't take somebody's life. Whoever takes somebody's life is liable. But I say to you, and that makes sense, right? That's good. That's that's how the way it should be. But then he says, but I say to you, this is it. It's a new covenant. That if you're angry with your brother or sister, you'll be liable for that. Wow. If you insult your brother or sister, you'll be liable for that. And he goes on. It's hard stuff. In Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus talks about anger. He talks about relationships and marriage. He talks about honesty and truth-telling. He talks about loving our enemies. He talks about generosity. He talks about worrying and trusting. He talks about how to pray. He talks about wealth. He doesn't say wealth is bad. He says wealth needs to be utilized for the proper things. If you're going to use wealth against other people to inflict pain on them, that's evil. If you're going to use wealth to be generous and to pour forth into, into humankind and make a difference in the world, that could be good. But pay attention. If you're selfish with your wealth, that's not good. And Jesus goes on and on. He talks about judging others. He talks about in Matthew 5 through 7. This is a new covenant. Treat people the way that you want to be treated. That's a novel thought. That's Jesus' idea. 
It's a narrow, that there's a narrow way, that there's this self-deception. See, because what happens is we think if we get away from some of that old that it just gets loosey-goosey. I would contend that Jesus calls us much higher than anything that has ever been written anywhere outside of his own words. Jesus calls us higher. Just say that after me. Jesus calls us higher. Let's personalize it. Jesus calls me higher. Jesus calls me higher. Jesus isn't asking for anybody to be loosey-goosey and out there. Jesus is asking us to live like he wants us to live. This is powerful. Just, just absorb this scripture. This isn't, this isn't going to be on the board. I just want you to listen to the beginning, and we're going to get into this a lot more in the weeks to come. But this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Just take it in and allow God's love to pour into your life, into mine, And into this world that we live in, this is the most amazing sermon ever. The most amazing words ever communicated in the history of humanity. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto a mountain and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to speak and he taught them. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. On my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus goes on in Matthew 16, and he's going for a walk with the disciples, and he says to them, he asks them a couple of questions. He says, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples said to him, some say that you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, others say you're Jeremiah, or you're one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Jesus asks the disciples two questions. The first is, what's the buzz on the street about me? We're somewhat along in the story here. We're in Matthew 16, so Jesus has been doing all kinds of amazing things. There's been intense moments. There's been beautiful moments. There's been 
eternity-changing moments for people. There's been miraculous healings that have happened. There's intense pushback by now on Jesus. And he just says, what do people say about me? And it's interesting, isn't it? Everything that they say in the first question is about the old. It's about the Old Testament prophets. People think you're Elijah. People think that you're Jeremiah. People think that you're John the Baptist, who's no longer alive by Matthew 16. And you've reincarnated, which a lot of people believed in reincarnation and still do, right? Jesus just pointing out that they're still holding, there's an enormous amount of people that are still holding to the old view. They're looking for the old covenant to be revived. They're looking, they're looking for those glory days to be brought back. Essentially, they're saying, a lot of people are saying you're a prophet or a teacher, and your job is to clarify and apply the laws of Moses. And then he says, well, what do you think? And then Peter says, you're the Messiah. And then Jesus makes this statement. He says, I will build my, in Latin, I will build my ecclesia in the Greek. I will build my ecclesia. I will build, some of you understand this word as the ecclesia. I will build my church. That word church there is actually a church, a word that's been inserted. It was inserted later in history. What Jesus is really saying here, and there's nothing wrong with the word church, but what's wrong is there's a subtle understanding when you use the word church that's kind of harmful at times. And this is why. When Jesus says, I will build my church, I will build my ecclesia, what he's saying is, I will build my assembly. Because that same word shows up in different parts in the New Testament, just about gathering or assembly. I will build my assembly. I will build my gathering. The the loose definition of this term is, it's widely described as a gathering or an assembly, a civic gatherings, an assembly of soldiers, A gathering of people for a specific purpose. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to gather people now for a specific purpose. And he was trying, the the problem, the subtle problem that comes with that word church when it was inserted is, that word means temple or house for God. And Jesus was trying to get away from that. And that's where the whole thought, when we say, when you say to yourself or we say to one another, and you've heard this before, when we say, we don't go to church, but we, say say it with me, we don't go to church, we, that's Jesus. Jesus says, you are the church, you are the gathering, you are the ecclesia, you are, the, you are gathered for a purpose. Your purpose is to love, serve God. My purpose, love and serve God and love and serve the people that Jesus came and died for, right? So Jesus was trying to get away from this thought of you go to church. Like when we're done this afternoon and we clean up and we get ready for the vaccination, those of you that are going to help, somebody's going to walk out this door and we'll be the last one out the door. You know what? Church doesn't end. All of a sudden the church isn't over because the door's locked, right? What happens is the church goes out, it leaks into all the different communities, it's going to go to restaurants, it's going to go home, it's going to go watch the Super Bowl, and the kingdom of God goes, the church goes. That's what Jesus is saying, and the gates of hell will not prevail, right? So there's a few noticings here that are important. First of all, the church is not a place, but a people, 
right? We just said that. It's also, there's no buildings required. If we did not have a building, it doesn't mean we can't be a part of the ecclesia. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's saying it to people that don't have a building. They did not have, they were, they were just going about walking the countryside. We don't go to church, we are the church. Some of the most amazing days of Crossroads was in the first five years when we were like, we, were, we literally were like the Israelites walking around the, il- the wilderness of Israel, or the wilderness, trying to find a home. For the first five years, we were in three different schools. We were in all kinds of, we were in all kinds of um, homes, and we just, we were meeting in parks, and the church just kept growing. Crossroads just kept growing. It was phenomenal. You don't need, we don't need a building. We're grateful for a building. We do phenomenal things in this building. It's a beautiful tool, but this Building, if we didn't have it, and that not that interesting? Maybe it is in our culture that we are so fixed. We're, it's so hard for us to get away from this building thing that is an old covenant thought that we freak out when all of a sudden we can't get in our building. We can't be the church. Open up the church. The church has always been open. doesn't need anybody's building. Jesus doesn't need anybody's building to do miracles in your life and mine. We're gathered around a purpose. The purpose is God's kingdom. It's not, Jesus was saying, this is not a continuation of the old. This is a new thing. This is Jesus' movement. And when the, when this, when the church rolls out in the book of Acts, it takes off like wildfire. And you know how this virus has been, and it's like you can't see it, you're in rooms, even this room, you don't know who might be spreading it, Is that, who's a spreader, and there's like people getting it, and you don't even know how you got it, and we want to believe we know how it's just like spreading. Imagine that that's how the Holy Spirit times a hundred is just like spreading all over the earth. Even today, it's like viruses are airborne. But God's kingdom is spirit-born. And you don't, Jesus said it this way, the wind blows where it blows, right? He said it to Nicodemus. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going. But trust me, it's blowing. That's paraphrase Jesus. Anyway, it's interesting. The first name for the church was the way. That's how the church was described. The apostle Paul uses that term that he was persecuting the people of the way, and then he became a part of the way. And I love that terminology. It wasn't the church. And again, I don't have anything against the term church if we embrace it properly, but I love the term way because it has movement. It is spirit-led. It is, it is open to the ways of God. And I think that's what Jesus was saying to Peter. Peter, humans didn't communicate this to you. Only by the Spirit of God did you get a handle on the fact that I'm the Messiah. Don't kid yourself, folks. In the most amazing places on planet Earth right now, the Holy Spirit is doing remarkable things. One news headline last September was this. Iran has the fast the world's fastest Iran has the world's fastest growing Christian church despite no buildings and it is mostly led by women. That was an article by Caleb Park. Gordon Conwell University in the center 
of study of global Christianity says this, 19 out of the top 20 countries for church, people coming to Christianity and giving their life to Christ are in Asia or Africa. 11 out of those 20 are mostly considered Muslim countries. No countries from Latin America, North America, or Europe are on that list of top 20. The greatest cluster of Christian growth in the world is in Eastern Asia, Western Africa, and the Arabian Peninsula. Because God is not confined to our smallness and our old thinking. God is on the move in the world in places that we're convinced would be miraculous for it to happen, and it's happening. I just believe it's time for us to really be honest about the things that we hold as most important in the kingdom of God. Jesus, it's not that Jesus is wanting to hold back his grace and see incredible exponential increase in the church in North America or in Latin America or in Europe. But I think we've got to pay attention to some of the old that we're refusing to take off and we're refusing to let go because it's just so comfortable the way it's been. It just feels good. And I'll take a little bit of the new, the stuff that fits into my kind of way of life. But man, I like those old things because they're so comfortable. So question, let me, let me just say this. I, I, I love this quote by Tertullian. Speaking of, this is about, Tertullian was a church historian and leader. He lived in the late second, early third century. And this is what he said about the church's explosive growth. Christ's name is extending everywhere. It is believed everywhere. It is worshipped by all nations. It reigns everywhere. It is adored everywhere. It is conferred equally upon all. There is no king with him that finds greater favor, no barbarian that finds lesser joy, no dignities or pedigrees enjoy distinctions of merit. To all, he is equal. To all, he is king. To all, he is judge. And to all, he is God and Lord. Question as we go into our week. How open are you to the new that God has for your life? How open are you to the new that God has for your life? So God, all over this room, we know that you're opening us up to new things. You're bringing those things to life in us. We pray, God, that we would open ourselves to the new work that you're trying to do in us. Help us to receive that. Help us to be courageous enough to trust you. Help us, God, to live into all you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Let's stand together.
I can help you sew that coat. <laughs> so together we're just going to ask God to help us open to the blessing of the new. So however you want to do that, open your hands, fold your hands, put your hand on your heart, lift your hands to God, and ask God that you could be open to new and not stuck somewhere that keeps you from the blessing that God wants to bring. And the God of the universe, God, creator, maker of all, everlasting God, God who is the author and finisher of our faith, God who is writing the story in us right now. God, help us be open to new and to bring the newness out in every place we're putting our feet and bringing the blessing of the new covenant. And so, God, we... We're humbled to even imagine that you want us to carry your newness and to experience the, bun- the abundance of it in our own souls and then to bring that kind of abundant blessing to other people. And so today, God, as we leave and we pray the blessing over one another, may we receive this blessing and experience it in every cell of our humanness and bring it out that we would not have an old mindset even today as we're leaving, that we would bring this. Let's sing it over one another. The Lord bless you.
even as we're saying goodbye, I want you to know if you want to stay and help us set up for the vaccination clinic on Wednesday, we'll be vaccinating another 380-something times. And um, so if you're willing to help and you can take the stuff off of your table and go put it outside the women's bathroom, I'll take care of that from there. And then the guys that are going to be helping, who are our guys that are already assigned? Just raise your hand. Look for those guys. And Scott, they know what they're doing. But everybody, yep. Um, Guys, the round tables, we can't put in the food pantry this time because we've got pantry tomorrow. So we're either going to put them in this back room over here or over here. Okay? Got it. Yep. Don't you love it that we have a problem between deciding how to do the food pantry and a vaccination clinic? I love this church. God bless you. Have an awesome week.